Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Hey, you take your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 9. I've been doing it through the month of December. Uh, the night before Christmas, why the world needed a savior. And Isaiah could be a little bit difficult book to find. It's a large book in the Old Testament, kind of find Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. You, you just go that direction, you'll find it uh, if you can find those. Um, I, I've been looking at why the world needed a savior, B.C. and A.D. That was, Christ was the dividing point between those two. And we focus on the birth of Christ and we forget sometimes why we needed the birth of Christ. And so we've been looking at Genesis and other places on why we needed a savior. And so Isaiah is one of those passages that talks about it today. So I want us to focus us in this Sunday before Christmas. Let's get zeroed in on really why we needed Christmas. So turn to Isaiah chapter nine and we'll stand in a moment and we'll read God's word. I don't know if you heard this story this week or not. It really kind of dominated the news on my my phone, my iPad this week, uh, talking about uh, a guy named Ken. Owen Williams uh, posted a a picture of these presents. Uh, his neighbor, Ken, had just passed away around 86 years old. He tells us a little bit, a little bit about Ken. Ken was uh, 86. He, he, he said the first time he met him, he was on a 20-foot tall ladder on top of his roof, and he was 83 years old at the time. And he used to be in the military, used to be a diver, used to be a baker, he's a widower. And on his 85th birthday, he jumped out of an airplane with a parachute, but he jumped, that's not how he died. He, he died, he had the parachute on, but jumped out of an airplane. And Owen has, and his wife have a little daughter, she's two or three years old, and Ken, this neighbor, loved her, and so he died, and Ken's daughter, her, his adult daughter, came over to the house carrying all of these boxes. And those were 14 years of Christmas presents that he had bought for their young daughter. And he wanted to give her a Christmas present. He said he planned on living to be 100. And he wanted to give her a Christmas present until he was 100 and until she was 16 years old. So at the age of 86, he went out and bought 14 different presents, one for her to open every year. It's a great story because he, he gave a Christmas that lived beyond his lifetime. When we look at the birth of Jesus in a manger 2,000 years ago, that's what the first Christmas was about. It was a Christmas that was to live for more than one lifetime. We see stories like Ken's there and those presents, and we get the idea that those are the kind of stories that we like at Christmas time. It gives us the warm fuzzies. It gives us a good emotional Christmas. But can we be honest that that doesn't always represent the actual Christmas we're experiencing? The actual Christmas we're experiencing is more like the crazy mama at a rec department basketball game. Have you ever met that mama? You ever met the mama? Hey, if you've ever met the mama who was the crazy mama at the basketball game, can I see your hand if you've ever met her? If you are her, can I see your hand? Yeah, if you're married to her, can I see your hand, right? You've met the mother. This docile little, just, just sweet as she can be mama who knows how to do everything for his, her little girl, her little boy, suddenly gets 
possessed by something beyond her and during a basketball game, she'll say something crazy like, I mean, I've heard it. You are a worthless piece of garbage. You say, no mama would say that. Well, she's saying that about the other kids that are on the court, not hers. I've heard mama say things like, you know, you've got to do better. You know, I mean, I don't want to be, but I can't believe I gave birth to an unathletic child is what you are. Or my favorite, I should get more athleticism out of a five-year-old than this. And they go crazy. But if you pay attention to that mom, those parents before the ball game, all those parents be sitting around in the huddle, feeding their kids juice boxes and orange slices, and you'll always hear them say something like this. Well, it's just for the fun, as long as the kids have fun. <laughs> sure, sure it is. Sure it is. And can I tell you, Christmas is almost that way in our generation because it gets loud with the screaming and the pushing and the shopping and all the hosting that you have to do. And there are times that we have to reorient ourselves and remind us that there was a reason we needed Christmas. There was a reason we needed a Savior. And God wasn't born in the world so we could buy tons of presents and host a bunch of parties and get involved in all the craziness. There was a reason the light of the world was being born to save our souls. That's what Christmas is all about. I don't know if your wife gets crazy about Christmas lights on Christmas tree. Sherry's in early service. She stayed for a little bit of this service but left. But she would testify. She would not uh, uh, disagree with me. My wife goes crazy about lights on a Christmas tree. Now, for most of our lives, our tradition was, my daughter's here this morning, most of our traditions were, we have all these pictures for several decades of me laying under a tree with a saw, and I'm sawing down a tree on a farm or out in the woods somewhere, and we're taking a picture, and then my wife has me come into the house, and my job is to level that tree in that little cheap $3 stand that the only one that Walmart sells. And I want to be honest with you, you ladies, you don't know if you don't do it. That is a near uh, physical impossibility to get a tree leveled. It is quite possibly harder than brain surgery. <laughs> they don't sell enough tools to get it done. You'd have to have a, 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 a degree in physical engineering, a PhD to get it done. My trees always lean slightly, but Sherry could put up with that. What she could not tolerate was a lack of lights on the tree. We, we talked her in a couple years ago. We got, the girls got tired of me doing it, and I got tired of me doing it. We talked her into getting a, this beautiful uh, 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 pre-lit tree that I just stick it in a stand. It goes, whoof, and the leaves are perfect, and the lights are on. And I'm like, baby, it's your job now. I, I, I've done. And the kids are thrilled about that because before, I'd be stringing lights around the tree, and, and she'd say, how many lights are on the tree? And I'd say, oh, I, I don't know, 60, 70, thousand I think are on the tree baby they're wrapped around there as much as they can be and she would say well it's not enough my wife was not happy with lights on the tree until Georgia Power experienced a power drain <laughs> people were calling us my wife was not happy with lights on the tree until when you plug the tree up you should get a tan when the tree is on <laughs> it's the only time we were allowed to stop she wanted enough lights to make a difference in Isaiah chapter 9, Jesus was, uh, God was trying to tell us that the light that was going to be born into the world was the light that was going to make a difference. There had been some light before, but there had never been eternal 
light. In Isaiah chapter 9, eternal light is born. Light that was going to make a difference, light that was going to make an eternal impact, light that was going to light every person who comes into the world. And when we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the light of the world. You say, well, why does that matter? That matters because there are some here today that you have never trusted Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life, and that makes a difference. He is the light that lights every man that comes into the world. There's some of you here today that you have been touched by the light, but you are not walking in the light, and the light wasn't just to save you, it was to direct your path for the rest of your life. And then sometimes we just need a reminder of why we, why we experience Christmas. So would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word and look in Isaiah chapter 9. You can follow along on the screen or you can look in your Bible, Isaiah chapter 9, begin in verse number 1. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. And afterward, more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelled in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. You have multiplied the nation, increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, and in the day of Midian. For every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used for burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child is born. And to us the son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. To order and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, beginning in Isaiah chapter, really in Isaiah chapter 7, Isaiah, who was a prophet in the Old Testament, God has given him a prophecy. Now, follow along with me. Look this way for just a second. Because the prophecy of Isaiah was twofold. It had an immediate context for the nation of Israel at that time. So what Isaiah is saying is, uh, is applicable and applies to the current culture in which they are. It's describing where they are. But there are some of these prophecies that come along that were never quite fulfilled 100%. These were messianic prophecies. And even the Old Testament rabbis recognized that Isaiah 7, Isaiah chapter 9, and other places, these were not fulfilled all the way. That It indicates by the reading and the context that these prophecies are going to outlive the time of Isaiah and these are actually messianic prophecies and so we get Isaiah chapter 9 we find such prophecies especially in verse 2 verses 7 8 and 9 these are prophecies that yeah they were kind of fulfilled in Isaiah's time in the immediate context but overall they were left unfulfilled why Isaiah was prophesying beyond prophesying beyond his time he was prophesying to the day of Jesus. He was prophesying to the coming Messiah. And so when we find some of these verses, we find like, like Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 7, we find these verses that are applicable and they were pointing towards a Savior and they were telling us why we needed a Savior. So I want to spend all of our time in one of those verses, verse number 2. It says this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death Upon them a light has shined. 
Can I give you three reasons Isaiah tells us we needed a Savior? Number one is this, because the darkness dominated. Here's what he says in verse 2, that the people who walked in darkness. That B.C. time before Christ was a time when the world walked in darkness. Now, there would be an occasional form of light. There were miracles that happened from time to time in the Old Testament. There were, there were prophets who came along. But, but here's the way the world was. The world was saturated with darkness, and every now and then a light would pop up around the world. Every now and then a prophet would shine. Every now and then a miracle from God would happen. But that was not the norm. The norm was the darkness dominated. They lived in a world of darkness. Sin ruled the day. Wickedness ruled the day. I already read the Bible verse to you in Genesis. That was true that said man's heart was on evil continually now that describes life BC before Christ on the calendar but can we be honest and say that describes life BC for you and me personally that if you're a believer before Christ our life was dominated by the darkness before Christ if you don't know him today there is darkness that permeates your life, whether it be emotional or spiritual or relational. The list goes on and on. That occasionally you'll have a, a, a bright hope somewhere. Occasionally you'll have a spark of light here and there. But in general, just like the entire world was dominated by darkness, before you are a believer, we needed a Savior because our life was dominated by darkness as well. And so the reason we need a Savior is without the light of the world, the darkness is going to win. And every now and then you may have a, bright, a, a, a brief ray of hope. But then your world goes right back to the darkness. I was, a, I was a teenager in high school. I was, I was running late for school one day and had a little bit of a habit of being late for school when I got a car. And I was running late and I was driving a little too fast down the road. For you teenagers, I was, I was driving like 45, you know, down the road trying not to be late. And I rounded the corner at a high rate of speed and sitting in the middle of the road, too late for me to do anything about it. In the middle of the road, in the middle of my lane, I know this is gross. Don't get mad at me. I didn't do it on purpose. I, I killed a cat. It was in the middle of the road. I know. I know. I know. It was horrible. It was a funny kind of cat, too. It was a funny kind of cat, too. It was all black, and it had a white stripe all the way down its back. <laughs> I think they call it a pole cat or something like that, but... You might call it a skunk. I hit that skunk fast and hard. Skunk pieces went everywhere. I don't mean to be gross. I'm just telling you the way it is. I won. But I lost. If you've ever wondered if a skunk sprays its stink sack at the point of death, wonder no more. I'm telling you, that skunk in its last act alive filled my 81 Dodge Omni with all of the skunk perfume it had in its body. It was immediate. 
It did not smell bad in a minute. It smelled bad in a second. Within a second, I was gagging. There was skunk juice everywhere it smelled like in my car. I know it's gross, but you, you get it. And, and it was just, it took over. It took over. I forgot about school. I drove straight to the car wash. I washed that car out. I vacuumed it. I, I scrubbed. I mean, there's no way to say it. I scrubbed skunk particles off the front of it. I mean, I blew it out, the engine. I did everything I could do. I took that little air freshener, you know, that they have at the car wash, and I sprayed it in there, and I put some more quarters in it, and I sprayed some more. I got back in my car, and guess what it smelled like? 100%. Hadn't phased it. Hadn't phased it. I was driving towards school, and I drove by the ShopRite grocery store, as my wife and I call it, the Love Shack. That's where we met, and, and I walked into the Love Shack, and I got the best bottle of perfume cologne they had in there. I got a, the biggest bottle of Old Spice cologne. You remember Old Spice? Anybody still remember it? You say, remember it? I got it on today, but you know, you remember it, and, and uh, uh, I, I emptied the entire bottle. I put it in the back seat. I put it in the front seat. I put it on the manifold. I, I put it everywhere in the car, and you know what? I got back in the car. I got all that Old Spice in there. You know what? The car smelled like now? Skunk. <laughs> With just a little sweetness of Old Spice from time to time. I was an hour late for school. I walked right in the office. I was afraid I was going to get in trouble. I walked right in the office. And I said, the weirdest thing happened to me. And they're like, nope, we know what happened to you. Just go to class or go home, whichever one you want to do. I said, terrible. It lasted forever. I'd be riding down the road and I could barely, I'm just going to tell you, it's bad on your dating life when your car smells like a skunk. You know what I'm saying? The girls, chicks aren't attracted to skunk in case you guys are wondering. And so it was bad. And so that meant I'd be in that car a week later and it still smelled like skunk. It was awful. And I'd be riding down the road and it just, the smell, it couldn't get off your mind. I'd be going down the road and then every now and then a little bit of Old Spice would go. And for a half second, your brain would say, Yes, and then a half sec later, skunk. Not yet. Here's what went on in my car for days, weeks, months, years in my car. It felt like here's what went on. It was dominated by the smell of skunk with just a little brief Old Spice sweetness. Can I tell you that your life before Jesus? I'm not telling you your life was miserable before, before Jesus. I'm just telling you, your life, my life was dominated by the darkness of the world. It was dominated by the darkness of heart of your heart. And every now and then, you'd get a little sweetness of heaven. Every now and then, there'd be a little odor of heaven. But your life before Jesus would go right back to the darkness. And there's some of you here today, you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. And here's what you're trying to do. You're trying to get rid of the, 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 the darkness by being a good person and it's never going to get rid of it. You're trying to get rid of the darkness by, by getting involved in religion or coming to church and all those things are good, but they don't get rid of the darkness. There's some of you here today and saying, well, preacher, starting in January, I'm gonna start living right and I'm gonna turn over a new leaf. All that's great, but none of those things get rid of the darkness only Jesus is the light of the world that's why the world had to have a savior and that's why you have to have a savior because there is nothing else in the world that can get rid of the darkness of your soul but Jesus the darkness dominated that's why we need the savior number two though I want to tell you the light originated he says in verse number two they have seen a great light he was saying that 
there was coming a day when the light of God would be born into the world. As a matter of fact, I'm going to read this verse tomorrow night during our candlelight service. It says, John 1, 9 says, that was the true light, speaking of Jesus. Which lights, get this, every man that comes into the world, every man. The light of God originated when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Have you ever noticed how much light dominated the Christmas story? The wise men were led by a star giving off its light. The, the shepherds were startled from a light from heaven. God was using light to announce the coming of eternal light. And the light didn't originate with some great military general, which, by the way, is what the Israelites thought. The Israelites thought the light of God would be a great military general. or They thought he would be a great political ruler. That's not how the light originated. It didn't originate with a vote from Congress. It didn't originate with a rock star, a movie star, a pop star. It originated with a little baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. And the start of the light that lit every man, every man, that's you, that's me. Man is in the general context of all humanity. All of humanity is shown the light of God. And it all started in a little manger in Bethlehem. This year, Americans will put about a, uh, research shows us about $100 million on credit cards for Christmas. The average American will put $650 on credit cards in 2018 to pay for Christmas. That wouldn't be so bad, probably, except... 39.7 million Americans are still trying to pay off last year's Christmas card debt. Americans in general, get this, big number, have $800 billion. Billion dollars in credit card debt. Credit card debt. Not a car, not a house, credit card debt. You ever wonder how that got started? In 1730, a furniture salesman by the name of Christopher Thompson figured out that people could not afford his expensive items of furniture. So Christmas, Christopher Thompson read an ad that said, you can buy anything in my store and I will let you make payments on it until it's paid off. That was the first instance of, modern cre of credit in modern history. Well, a couple of centuries later, the idea didn't really catch on, but a couple of centuries later, it was resurrected by a group of men that were commonly known as tally men. Tally men would go from city to city and town to town, and they would sell clothes and other items, and they would sell it to you on credit. Here's what they would do. They literally took a tally of what you owed them. They had a stick called a tally stick, and they would, they would carve on one side what you had purchased, they would, cart, they would put notches on one side for how much you owed them. And on the other side, every time you made a payment, they would put another notch on your stick until you had it paid off. That's what started credit card debt. So why do you tell us that story? Because $800 billion started with a guy and a stick. Now that's a negative example 
of what I want you to understand about God. When that baby was born in a manger, nobody thought anything about it. But then we get to John chapter 8, and Jesus said to them, I am the light of the, say that word with me, world. World. A baby that originated or was born in a manger became the light of the world. Now, here's what I want to tell you. Sometimes we get darkness in our marriage. Sometimes we get darkness in our family. Sometimes we get darkness in our finances. Sometimes we get darkness in our spirit. Sometimes we get darkness in our emotions, and we wonder, how do I get this darkness fixed? Can I tell you this? The light of the world is the cure to all of the darkness you have in your life. That leads me to number three. Number three, we see the light illuminated. It says, upon them, the light has shined. Can I say this, that God doesn't save you as a Christian and then leave you. He saves you and then lights the path for you to walk in. The, the, the light of the world, the starting point is salvation, but he provides a way for living as well. Once we have accepted the light, our job is to operate in the path he illuminates. Get this, the Christian life is not hard. Let me say this. The Christian life is not complex. It's simple. Just walk in the light. Because that's how God designed and why we need a Savior. The light shined so we could alter our living based on where the light was. About, about, about two decades, decades ago, my wife, when our girls were little, invented a Christmas game. We don't have a really an official name for it. We just call it Christmas lights. Now, let me explain to you how it works. We're going to play it tonight, as a matter of fact. We're going to load two son-in-laws up and uh, two daughters, me and Sherry, and we're going to get into a brutal game of Christmas lights tonight. Here's how it works. If you spot Christmas lights in somebody's outdoors, you yell Christmas lights. You get a point. Commercial establishments do not count. Indoor lights do not count. That's more confusing than you think it is because a lot of times you'll hang stuff on the window or we'll see stuff inside the house. We'll say Christmas lights, but it's not outside, it's inside. And if you call it outside, but it was inside, you lose a point. If you say Christmas lights and it was a street light, flashlight, or a cigarette, you lose points. Somebody's already called it, you lose points. So if you double say Christmas lights and you point to the house and somebody else already called it, you lose points. Now that may not sound like a very exciting game. We have wasted enormous amounts of time playing this game. Matter of fact, we put boyfriends and some of our kids' friends in the car with us and it just breaks out spontaneously. We don't plan it, it just happens. And the first time somebody says Christmas lights, we're like, oh, it's on now, it's on. We've had, we've had friends in the car with us and be like, now what's going on? We don't understand. Just be quiet. Help me. You know, that's how we play it. She takes it really, really seriously. Now, here's the dirty little secret I've never really told my kids, that if I ever got the lead and I'm driving, playing, I always am playing the Christmas light game, if I ever got the lead, I immediately altered my route home. To go by every Scrooge I knew who had no lights outside whatsoever. If it, if it involved four-wheeling through the woods, that's what I did because I wanted to hold the lead. 
However, if we were playing the game and we were almost home and I was behind, we would take detours through subdivisions where I'd scoped out the night before where lights were. And I was looking for Christmas lights to win the day. Here's why I'm telling you that story. We let the lights determine the route we took. And close your Bibles and I'm through. Can I tell you this? That is what you're supposed to do when you're saved. You let the light determine the route you take. The light of the world being born 2,000 years ago was not just so you could be saved. The light of the world born 2,000 years ago was also to change the way you live. The Christian life is not complex. Just walk in the light. Listen, that light changed the way 12 men lived out their entire lives. That light changed the way that a secret government spy named Paul lived out his entire life. And that's exactly what Jesus should do for you. I want to be honest. There is something wrong if you claim to be saved, but you don't walk in the light. Because the light of the world is Jesus. My dad died when he was 46 years old and he had a, he had a, he had a part-time hobby. He would go spelunking, cave exploring. And I was a kid when dad did it and dad wouldn't take me to a lot of the places because it was dangerous. But he took me with him several times. Dad wear one of those miner's hats and he'd carry flashlights. And Here's what dad would say. Dad, get me down. We'd get into the cave, and he'd walk me back until we had lost all outside natural light. We'd be in a cave, and it would be so dark. When you talk about, you've heard people say it was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't. It'd be so dark that, as you've heard people say, you can feel the darkness. You could feel the darkness. And here's what Dad would say. Dad would turn on his light and say, here's the one rule. You only walk where the light shines. If you don't walk where the light shines, son, you could walk into a river. You could walk into a hole. You could walk off a cliff. You only walk where the light shines. That's why we needed a Savior. We need a Savior to shine the light and tell us where to walk. Would you stand with me? We used to sing this old hymn growing up. We're not going to sing it this morning. It wasn't even a Christmas hymn. But the words are so powerful and applicable today. I just want to read the verse and the chorus. The whole world was lost in the darkness of sin. The light of the world is Jesus. Like sunshine at noonday, his glory shone in. The light of the world is Jesus. Come to the light, tis shining for thee. Sweetly the light has dawned upon me. Once I was blind, but now I can see. The light of the world is Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of the light, your life, He is the light of the world. He's the cure for all the darkness you have. 
Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? It's every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. It could be that you're here today and you don't know Jesus as the Lord and Savior of your life. But today God's speaking to your heart. Today God is drawing to you. Today is God is telling you, quit trying to be good. Quit trying to turn over a new leaf. All, all, that, stuff, all that stuff comes after you're saved. Before you're saved, you just need to accept the light of the world, Jesus. So while our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. If you're here today and you'd love to trust Jesus and know that Christ is in your life and heaven is your home, I'm gonna lead you in prayer. I'm not leading you in prayer because there are any specific words you need to say. I'm leading you, helping you pray because sometimes you don't know what to say. If you wanna be saved, know what to say, you have at it. But if you need some help, maybe you wanna pray something like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and can't save myself. I know that Christ died on the cross for my sins rose again the third day and just now I invite Christ into my life to save me to forgive me of my sin and to give me a home in heaven I trust Jesus and Jesus alone if you just prayed that prayer or something like that you have been born again you have put your faith and trust in Jesus I want to invite you to do a couple things We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.